0: Morning Shadoshi, and welcome back to Miranda's Sweet Shop, the podcast where I come on, and it's just me, and I ramble, and for some bizarre reason, you listen to it. Now you could say, well, I don't listen to it, but obviously you do, because you're hearing this. Because if you didn't listen to it, you wouldn't be hearing this. So yes, I'm back. Uh, This is my third episode. I am still doing this. And, oh, look, I'm repeating myself. I know. I know. I know I'm bad about that. I know I'm bad about that. I've always been a bad about that. And see, when I'm on a podcast with other people, the other people will end up chiming in and stopping me from having the chance to repeat myself so everything goes fine. But you sit me down. You have me on a podcast all by my lonesome. And I sit here and say repeat and re um emphasize, I guess you could say, the same things over and over again, so I am going to try to uh, not do that, because some of you said that, and I know, I know, I know, but anyway, we are back, and how was your holidays? Mine were um, interesting, and interestingly enough, uh, what I'm going to say is going to lead into the topic of discussion for today, for today's show. Uh, so I had this week off between Christmas and New Year's, and that is one of the nice things about working for magazines and, and publications and, um, the industry of video games where that week absolutely nothing happens is that typically you end up getting that week off, which is nice. So I had, of course, these big plans for what I would do with my week off, and I ended up doing pretty much nothing. Uh, And the reason for that was because I have kind of lately gotten back into um, some bad periods of depression, which is today's topic. Uh, But before we get to that, so, you know, I was like, got this week off. I want to relax, which I did, which was nice. But I also did want to get some things done, which I really didn't. Um, One of my big goals for the week was I was going to go and finally play a lot of those video games that i've had sitting around waiting to be played that i've not gotten to and yeah that pretty much didn't do very much of that um i did get a little bit into near which is uh this japanese game came out Uh, i should know the developer is it kavia um i'm gonna say that i'm probably wrong but we'll go with that for now (coughs) sorry (laughs) as you can tell i'm still sick um so it's, it's near is this, of course, before Nier comes out, one of the big things was, oh, one of the characters is a hermaphrodite, this main female character, so that was you know what got it. Um, and she's dressed very scantily, and she's always pissed off, it seems. Um, but then it came out, and I, I had always heard that it was one of those games that I had to play, but I had not had a chance to play it yet. And through one of my other podcasts, somebody was very kind enough to donate it to me. Uh, and I was like, I wanna this is one of those games I want to play over my vacation and really get into. But I I had trouble doing that and I got a little way into it, and I'm still gonna go back and play it. But the problem I've had lately is the commitment to video gaming. And it may sound stupid, you'd be like, What commitment? You'd sit down and you play games. But it's that mental commitment of sitting down and saying to yourself I've got at least 40 hours that I'm going to have to put into this game, if not more. Uh, And that lately has just been really tough for me outside of whatever I'm doing for work. And even then sometimes it's, like, I know, I I know how many of you out there listening, even if you are not heavily into video games, would say I would any day of the week take a job where I play games. I know. I'm not complaining about my job. I know how lucky I am. But still, when you do anything as a job versus as a hobby, your perception of that task completely changes. Um, <clears throat> so think about if you do play games, or let's say you know, you, you enjoy watching movies or listening to music or whatever, you do that when when you want. And typically it's like, okay, right now my feeling is I want to sit down and play a video game. I want to sit down and watch a movie. I want to listen to music. I want to paint. I want to sew. I want to cook whatever you it is that you enjoy doing. <clears throat> and you do all those on, on your time under your conditions. When it becomes a job, suddenly you're having to do those things that originally existed for you as a means of escape from life as your task for life so um recently one of the games i reviewed was corpse party and i ended up absolutely loving it and it was one of my favorite games of 2011 Um, i enjoyed every moment of it probably past the first half hour or so um because for that first half hour to me it was i'm playing this game not because i want to but because i have to uh, and that mentality is really tough to get past. And no matter what your job is, you have that. And as many people have said, when you do your hobby as your job, it kills your hobby. And it really does. <clears throat> so my kind of thing was this was, this was, this was, this was my vacation. This was my week off. And my, suddenly I was sitting here thinking, well, my week off is going to be playing video games, which is what I've been doing for my job. So it didn't seem as much like a vacation to me. Um, and there is that commitment too. So l- lately I've kind of gotten back in that thing where I don't enjoy games as a hobby as much as I used to because I just keep connecting it back to my work. Um, so when I do play games, it's like lately the game of choice for me has been Resistance 3. And the reason for that is I can put it in. I can jump online. I can play 15 to 30 minutes of, of online multiplayer, have fun just killing people and not thinking about anything, and then I'm done. And it requires no commitment from me in order to enjoy it. And I know this. there's this whole discussion out there about the iPhone games and stuff, and you know, I, I hated Tiny Tower so much because I thought it was just the biggest waste of time. But at the same time, you can understand because... Tiny Tower is a game you can play for five minutes and then be done with it and then come back to it later, and you're okay. And you don't have to invest much of yourself into that game or into a lot of the other iPhone, iOS games that are out there. Um, so I think that is part of the reason why they are becoming so popular is because you you can go into them not thinking you're going to have to make this big commitment. I mean, even think about a movie. You know, If you're going to sit down and watch a movie – Unless you're going to start and stop it over multiple days, you have to commit an hour and a half to two hours of your time to invest in that movie. But at the end of those two hours, you're done and you've gotten the full experience. A game, like I said, there are so many games where you have to put in this massive amount of time. And even games, let's say like Call of Duty or Battlefield, those games require that investment either for single player or... For multiplayer, in terms of getting good. Now, a game like Resistance, you might say, isn't that the same? It's not. Because Resistance is more of an arcadey kind of game. So, I can come in, and at level one, I can theoretically do just as well as anybody at level 30 or higher or whatever. So, it is that investment in games um, that I've really had a problem with lately getting past. So, um. But wait, where do, I, where do I go? Do I do I answer some email first? You know what? I might answer some email first and then get to the whole big depression topic. Because it's, it's the, the, the thing about this show, when I'm doing it, is I, I don't I like to do a lot of prep because I want the things I say to be kind of natural and more quote-unquote real, you know? I, I want to be saying them because I always want to say them. I don't want to have to have come on here and pre-rehearsed a lot of things and then just be repeating it after the fact. Um at the same time, that makes it so that uh, I don't have a lot of pre-planning. Um, so before I had mentioned the fact that through Tumblr you can send me uh, anonymous or unanonymous questions, and I have two here from Commission Commissar. I'm sorry, Commissar Jake. Um, which I don't know, don't know that it really connects, but uh, there was Neo the other day talking about how Russia's. National Anthem is the best out there. And I actually agreed with that. And there's something... This is getting off on total tangent. There was something like that Cold War Russia. There's something, like, romantic about it. I mean, obviously it's not, you know. But we have these romanticized ideas of certain things. And, like, Russia was so mysterious and so interesting. And 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 their anthem has this power, yet this beauty to it. But anyway, I'm, I'm uh, babbling. So... um Commissar Jake has two questions for me. First one is during your own travels, how much would you say is a good amount of cash to live on per week? And what is the best way to carry it with you? Uh so it's tough to to ask he says inside the states and outside. Inside is hard because, you know, the way Americans work at this point is we have debit cards or credit cards and we just swipe stuff and so we don't need to think about. Um currency at any certain time, Uh, but traveling outside the States, especially to Japan, which is a country I've been to, is interesting, uh, especially right now because the exchange rate absolutely sucks. So if you're going to Japan right now, I feel sorry for you. Um, When I lived over there, it was about 120 yen per dollar, which meant that you could theoretically think that... $1 $1 equal to 100 yen. Uh, so if the game was like 4,500 yen, you'd be like, okay, it's $45. And at that point, you, it would actually be a little bit cheaper, and it felt like a nice situation. But now, uh, last I checked, I think yen was <clears throat> 76 per dollar, and the problem is, is that because of Japanese society and how much they make and how much, the way things are priced, um, that that $1 to 100 yen really does work well in terms of uh, getting kind of a parity to to what standard prices are in America versus Japan. And when it's at 76, you, it's tough. It's really tough. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went over there for uh, TGS last September, but thankfully at that point, I had yen that I'd already had from my previous trip. And I took, <clears throat> I want to say, seven $700. No, okay, I, I won't say that. It was 70,000 yen, which at this point would not equally translate to $700. Um, probably like 500 and something or whatever. And I think I came back with... Twenty thousand yen that I hadn't used. The the thing about traveling uh, that I always say is that you want to take as much as you can take because it's one of those kind of situations where um, you can always have too much, but you can't have too little. You know. Um, now, of course, right now, with, with the exchange rate, it's hard because you don't want to... Because if you exchange it to yen and exchange it back to dollars, you'll be losing out quite a bit in that exchange. But if you are going to a foreign country, you really want to have as much as you can because you you don't want to go over there and feel like you have to be cheap, especially for for me, for Japan, um, because you get there and and the... The things you're going to spend money on are not always the things you're thinking about, and you could be like, okay, the hotel is this much a day, and it's gonna be this much for food, and then that, that's you know, well, okay, but what about transportation? You know, what about that that train ticket, um, multiple train tickets? What about uh, entry fees for for a shrine or a museum or whatever? Uh, what about snacks during the day? What about beverages? What about <clears throat> things you just want to buy for yourself? What about gifts for friends and family back home? So there's so many little things, so it's it's tough to say this is a set amount you should take. But I would always say, um, okay, I don't know if I would say this, but but I was gonna say whatever you think you need, double it. Maybe that's not quite true, but for Japan, and this might sound tough, but I would say a hundred dollars a day. Now you're not gonna need that. You're not gonna need that. But I I think that in that kind of space, you. Then have a lot of freedom for what you do, and okay, yeah, I'm just thinking about like maybe not a hundred bucks, because when I was over there, I'm trying to think if, eh, because think about Japan, like like I say, is is transportation really is big? Because Japan is a train based society, and that is absolutely wonderful for visitors for getting around and getting to places, but that those train fees can um, rack up pretty quickly. And then you're going to need food, obviously. And for a a country like Japan, I would say, you know, like you can, you can do the thing where you're going to go to the, the Japanese McDonald's and, you know, for six, seven bucks, get a meal, but you don't want to do that. You want to have fun and you want to eat food that you're not going to eat otherwise and things. So $10 per meal, at least think about that $10 per meal. Um, to be safe, I would say 20 bucks in travel charges unless you're going to need to go somewhere you, where you need into taxi, which I've never used a taxi in Japan, but you never know. Um it's okay. So we're up to what? 50 right there. Uh whatever your hotel room is. Um so yeah, if we, I mean, if we're, if we're counting the hotel room, then easily at least $100 a day. Uh wow, I need to turn that off. Uh if your not counting hotel room, then I would say if you could have about. Mm. Shut up! It's my new iPhone. I got an iPhone 4S and uh, it's nice, but it's also um very noisy sometimes. Um, so $20 for travel, $30 for food. Um, so think about that. You got think about anything else you might want to do. You wanna go to an arcade? Do you wanna buy manga do you want to buy a magazine do you want to buy snacks you know so think about all those kinds of things so again take as much (coughs) i'm sorry take as much as you can as much as you can realistically take with you and if you can do it in a way like the problem with japan too is that credit cards are still a very iffy situation same with atms um you can you should never count on them When they are there and you can use them, great, but you can never count on them. Uh, Because, wacky enough, Japanese ATMs, a lot of them, are only open during banking hours, which seems to make absolutely no sense and goes completely against the idea of an ATM. But, yeah. Uh, And if you're going to go to little shops that sell, like, uh, manga or uh, video games or, like... um, Japanese Idol Goods, you know, stuff like that, like the really fun little things that people listening to this show probably are into. Um, those shops never, ever expect them to take credit cards, ever. You always want to have cash for those. So so I, I, I actually, I would say that if you can spare 100 bucks a day, if you, w- outside of your hotel, then that would be great, and you would then... Um, probably have money left over at the end, which, which is fine. And you can either blow it on the big shopping spree or you can save it for your next trip. Now, obviously, if you're talking about like going there for a month, $100 a day is pretty crazy. Um, when I moved there for the year, I found out about three months ahead of time. And I was able to come up with about $7,000 for a year's worth of living expenses. And... That money would not have to cover. Um, <clears throat> it would not have to cover my schooling, and it would not have to cover my apartment. And I think the the money I ended up getting through the scholarship through the school also covered the the basic bills for the apartment, um, except for if I ever wanted to use heat or air conditioning, which sucked. Uh, and it also paid for a cell phone for me. So I had my, my my school stuff, my apartment, my basic utilities, and my phone paid for. So that $7,000 was otherwise. And even from there, I ended up finding some various jobs where I could make some money or I'd sell stuff back to people in America and things to survive. Because what is um, – let's see. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was about $7,000 is what I had to take over there. So what, 7000 divided by, it was, I think, 11 months in total in the end. So That's what, $636 a month, which is not very much. So a lot of times I lived very poor. Um, it was a fun life. It was still a very, very great life. But I was having to be very careful a lot of time in, in what I did and what I spent money on. So if you're going for a week, here's the thing. It may be tough, but... If you're going for a week, then put in the effort to any any country, not just Japan, but any country. Put in the effort to really save. And if it takes you a month or two of of being a real cheap ass in living your life, do it. And any 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 even if it's a, you know five bucks a day that you can save to put in that bank account, put it in there, so that when you take your trip, you don't have to be chintzy. You know. This, this That could be your one chance to go to that country. You don't know if you're ever going to have another chance again, and you do not want to go over there and then have to live like a bum the entire time and not do anything fun. You know, if you go to Japan, you want to go to those arcades. You want to buy fun stuff. You want to you know go here and there. You want to get on trains and, and go to the crazy parts of the city and, and, and just explore, and you want to eat the Japanese food and all that kind of stuff. So, so don't cheap out on their trip uh commissar jake's other question <laughs> and I'm still try to decide how to answer this it says a package arrives in the mail inside of the pistol a single clip of ammo and a note reading change the world what do you do uh that's a <laughs> so like i have to really think about that one um but my first instinct as the answer this is going to sound really terrible and i'm okay with that because this is the podcast where i am uh Being more open about myself, right? Uh, So, for a long time, I've had this kind of—I don't want to say fantasy because this is not something I actually think about doing—but this is like one of those fun, like, what if, you know? And and not like one of those what ifs when you're like, you know, all smoked out and everything. Because I don't, I don't do the, I don't do the Mary Jane. But so, like, one of my, you know, like uh, uh, dark side kind of questions was. Like, what would happen if, if you went to an, a, something like um, – because, of what, the Golden Globes are coming up, right? If you have the Golden Globes or the Oscars or things like that, like, what if you went in there and you're, like, some really whacked-out person? You're like, you know, okay, my, you know, either you're, my life's over so I'm just going to take a, people out with me or, or you're crazy and don't think straight anymore or whatever. Like, what if you went to one of those kind of places and, like, took out, like, a good handful of, like, big-name actors all at one time? Like I'm saying, like I go, like all right. So let's take this guy's pistol, right? And we go in there, and uh, and I'm like, I take out uh, Robert Downey Jr., Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of like some of the like big names, but, you know, like uh, but even it was, it was just like those like five, like all at one time, right? Like how crazy would that be? Like, like what would be the reaction of the world to somebody doing something like that? You know, and and and. You have all these people like mourning for these actors, but we don't even really know them. There's people that we've kind of idolized in a weird way. so again, I'm not saying I am planning to or want to do such a thing, but <laughs> when you're thinking about dumb things, you think about things like that, and like what would happen if if you know like a whole bunch of like really big huge name actors because you could say politicians right like okay, think about. The whole Joker speech in Dark Knight, you know, it's kind of it's kind of true, you know. It's like okay, so you oh, oh, some some certain people die, you know, and 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 like like if somebody freaked out and let's say killed, God forbid, the president or some people in in you know, Congress or a number of senators or whatever, like it would be a huge tragedy, but it wouldn't be the most unexpected thing that could ever happen, right? because we have crazy people out there who hate the government and they think that the way to change that is to go shoot people in charge, right? So kind of like Joker said, you know, that's something that we kind of expect. But the little old lady of the Joker story would be like actors cuz nobody's expecting people to I mean, you have these these freaks like, you know, the guy who is obsessed with Jodie Foster and things. Okay, you have that. But you're not expecting somebody to go to the freaking golden globes and just lay waste to as many big name A-list celebrities as they possibly could. So, like, what would the reaction of the world be to that? So that's my terrible answer to that question. Um, I don't know, like how how would you change the world with like a gun? Really, like how, how would you change the world? Hmm. That's a good question. I'll have to think about that one. And see if I can come with a better answer later. Um okay. And I I don't know why I decided to do this topic, because I'm going to regret doing it later. But depression, let's get into it. Uh, And just to be clear, as we start this, uh, oh my gosh, this is all crazy. Let me close these windows here. Um, As I start this topic going, let me just be clear and say that the main cause of my depression is not going to be part of the conversation today. Um, for any of you who out there who do know me, uh, you may know, you may not know, but that is a completely different topic for the other day. Um, so we're not going to get into the whys, but... <sighs> Depression. It's fun, isn't it? Okay, it's not fun at all, but... So the, the, the truth of the matter is, everybody gets depressed. Everybody. Now, the the... Differentiator, of course, is to what levels we each do. But in reality, at some point in your life, you have been or will be depressed about something. It could be anything, even even if it's like you know, your dog dies, uh, your cat dies, your 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 grandfather, grandmother, mother, father, brother, sister, whatever you know, somebody close to you dies, you get depressed, and that's a natural that's natural depression. We all expect things like that to happen. And if somebody like that dies that's close to you and you tell somebody, I'm depressed because my mother died, my dog died, whatever, people understand. That's, you know, okay. It's like vomiting, right? Everybody vomits at some point. You necessarily don't want to do it, but somebody is going to vomit at some point in their life so we all understand that feeling. But then you get to a whole different level of depression and you get to a level of depression that is not part of the natural course of a person's life. Um, and <laughs> so the thing I thought about saying was that depression is like pedophilia. Now, hang on. <laughs> Once again, let me explain. Real, I mean, like real serious, deep depression. So not that I am an expert on pedophilia, mind you, uh, but we all agree that pedophilia is the sexual attraction to underage children, right? Okay. So if you have that attraction and you have never, ever acted on it, there is still a stigma if you go and ask for help, right? Again, not that I've ever been in this situation, not that I even know anybody who has been in this situation, but in in dealing with the various times this topic comes up on the internets, on news or whatever, the idea is that if you are somebody out there who is saying, look, I've got this attraction to little kids and I don't want to act on it, but I want to get help on it. If you go to somebody and say, Hey, I think I'm a pedophile, all of a sudden red lights go ween wee, wee wee, you know, people freak out and you could find yourself thrown in jail or whatever. So it's it's hard for people in that situation to really get help because there is an automatic set of um not expectations. What word am I thinking of? Uh there's an automatic set of like expectations. Maybe as I just said. Okay, you know what I mean. Like 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 somebody says that People make snap judgments as to who that person is and what they may or might not be capable of doing. So the reason I'm making this comparison is, in a way, real depression is kind of the same way. If I come to somebody and say, I am really, really depressed, then they are going to automatically have this set list of reactions unless they themselves have truly dealt with the same kind of level of depression. You know it's it's always it's always either I don't know, it's in it's kind of strange because there are there's almost kind of this 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 well, I mean there is this kind of level of weakness attached to being depressed. Um <clears throat> but it's not like the the person who is depressed is not saying, I wanna be a weak person, right? They have no control over those feelings and emotions. But there is still this outlook of weakness. And the same is kind of true with suicide. Now, when you are depressed, you can be suicidal without being to the point where you would commit suicide. Because the reality of the situation is it's not black and white. Depression is never black and white. Depression is gray. Depression is, and not just the gloominess of the color, I mean, depression is really... So many levels and variations of, of how your feelings are at any certain point of time and how they affect you as a person. And through depression, those feelings of suicide are the same way. You can have somebody who says, I wish I were dead or I want to die, who is nowhere near the point where they would actually do it themselves. And I know because I've been there many, many times. And so of other people that I know, <coughs> but so for people who are not or who do not suffer from depression and don't really understand it, there is very much this black and white kind of outlook on it is that either people are happy and that's how you should be or people are depressed because they're weak or they just don't understand life or they don't appreciate life, you know, or they're they're wanting to kill themselves or whatever. So there's this, this real black and white kind of scale to everything, but that's not the way it really works. So, saying to somebody that you are depressed can be very, very hard because unless they really understand what that means for you as a person, then their reactions can be what you absolutely don't want um, because for example, you either get the person who's gonna baby you like, "Oh oh my God are you okay 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 oh oh my god, you know tell me all your problems and everything and it's kind of like Sometimes you know you don't want to you don't want to talk about it. You want to have that freedom of saying this is how I feel at this certain moment, but you don't want to have to then go into an hour or 2-hour speech as to why you are that way. You know, or you have people who are just like suck it up, get better, you know. And that does not help you at all. So there it's this problem with expressing your feelings about being depressed, and that's I think one of the reasons why so many people have a problem with it. Again, going back to pedophilia. <laughs> not that I'm saying they're connected. Not that I'm saying they're the same thing or the same level or whatever. Not that I'm saying the people and pedophiles go in the same classification. Okay, shut up. But what I'm saying is, is it's a situation where you have a problem, but you, are, you can be afraid to try to get help because of the reactions you'll get once you make that admittance of what's going on with you. Um, So when I was a kid, I was genuinely happy. I mean, (laughs) I had some really complicated things family-wise. My father was an alcoholic, um, and that caused him, when he drank too much, to get rather violent, and violent to some very scary um never never like he never beat my mother or anything he was never like physically violent to her but it was more emotional and verbal kind of violence on that level and uh, unfortunately i i was witness to that and you know i think no kid should ever have to be um but you know because of that one of the things that came out was i never ended up drinking alcohol for a long long time and then when I finally did, I was always very careful. And I am always very careful about um, how I let alcohol uh, affect my life. Um, but I was I would say genuinely a happy kid, but I was also a child who had some emotional issues um, when you got deeper. And there was then the other big topic, which again I'm just going to tease you with I'm not going to tell you, sorry, but um, <clears throat> there was that issue looming as well that I did not understand at that point and did not really appreciate, but so there were a lot of little things going on, but in general, I was a happy kid, you know, but um I mean I was shy, I was quiet um my my parents split up, my mom went to work, and she was at work most of the time, so I was at home alone a lot, so I Grew up getting used to being on my own and not really having much of a connection to other people. You know, because you didn't have a mom around, so I'd I'd walk home or bike home. You know, and I wouldn't have those opportunities to go to friends' houses that they didn't live close. You know, to go out on play dates. I guess they call them now things like that. Uh So I kind of grew up having this 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 rough time really making connections with people. But in general, as I'm saying, at that point. I'm still, in general, a happy kid. Because all of us, I'm sure, in one way or another have those kind of challenges but we can still be happy children. Um, But, uh, puberty, the fun time of puberty, hits. And, many of the issues I have really come out at this point. uh, From multiple directions and multiple problems. And, of course, puberty sucks for all of us. So anybody who thinks that being a teenager does not suck has forgotten what it was like to be a teenager. I don't because even for teenagers who are in the best situations of their lives, they can have a perfect home, they can have mother and father who love them, they can have all the money in the world, they can have, you know, no want or need unfulfilled that teenager can still have a really, really crappy life because being a teenager sucks ass. It's like you are thrown into this world where all of a sudden the rules are changing and what it means to be a human being is changing for you. But everybody around you either expects you to still be a child in some way or to suddenly become an adult in other ways. And even though all of us go through this period, (laughs) some people just forget, and I don't understand why. But it really sucks. And you are at a point, the highest point in your life, where you have no clue who you are or what you're supposed to be. So, saying that teenagers get depressed is just like saying the sky is blue. <laughs> and <coughs> you know, that's I mean, all teenagers are going to be depressed at some points. Because emotions are running so high and there's so much pressure on you from from the outside world and so many things going on that that whole point in your life just sucks. Ass. So, obviously, obviously that was there for me. You know, just like everybody else. But there was then this other layer of depression put on top of that for me. Um, and junior high was really rough. I wasn't, I hadn't really hit that real terrible point of depression yet, but junior high was really rough because I was this child who, <laughs> um, like, I, I, don't, I don't know that I like saying that I didn't have social skills because that makes me sound like I'm a, you know, you know those people who you say he has no social skills or she has no social skills. You know, they just don't understand how to act around other human beings. They, they act like they're some sort of alien. It wasn't that I was that. I was just horrendously shy. And I... Did not understand what it took to fit in. And I really, really had problems understanding who I was. So it was hard for me to make those easy connections with people. Um, So junior high was really tough. uh, Especially because I went to kind of of a tough junior high anyway. Um, I mean, we had like this hallway with these big plate glass windows. And I remember one day... You're ready to go home, and this girl shoved another girl through one of these big plate glass i mean shoves her through it like you see in like a movie or something, so it was <laughs> not the best junior high in the entire world um, <clears throat> but so junior high for me was awkward, and junior high sucked, but I had not hit that depression yet, and I really did not hit that depression until high school. And the problem with that was I did not understand why I was hitting that depression. I did not understand what was the cause. And that is really scary. Um, You know, I don't know how many of you out there deal with depression at all and have dealt with it in that kind of way, but like... I mean, I'm not saying it's good to, to be depressed and know why, but you know, if if you are really attached to your family and your mother and father divorce, or you know, God forbid, one of your parents beats you, or one of your parents is beating your other parent, or you're poor and you're poor in a way that you can't be happy, or you know, th- there's a whole long list of, wh- of reasons why a teenager may be depressed. Um, but if you know why. You can at least then understand how to maybe deal with it. You can say, okay, uh, my family life sucks, so I'm going to be out of the house more. You know, I'm going to find other activities to do. I'm poor, so I'm going to work my ass off so that I will get rich, or I'm going to go out and do whatever it takes to get money so I will not be poor anymore. You know, when it's that kind of case, you, you understand what to do to to fix your situation. When you don't, Even understand your situation in the first place, you have no clue how to fix it. And that was the kind of position I found myself in. And it sucked. It really sucked. Um, ah, Drink. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it was just terrible. And I spent about eight years in deep, serious depression. And, uh, you know, looking back, it's interesting because now that I understand more about my life and understand what did cause that, it kind of answers some certain things. But at the time, I did not understand any of that. So I had so many problems that were... It's kind of like... You take, like, this Lego piece, you know, and you put the Lego piece down in a little... the uh, the ground uh panel thing you know, and then you put another piece on top of it another piece on top of it you know and you 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 keep adding to these things and they're 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 building on top of one another and getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but maybe you don't understand why the, why those you don't understand why those why those core pieces were put there, but all you know is those core pieces are now supporting these these higher and higher pieces at the same time um I had huge problems in relationships uh, because I was in a situation where, like, I could not understand why anybody would ever want to go out with me. Uh, It was one of those kind of things where, you know, you really question yourself, and and you're like, you know, you have no no self confidence. You have no, um, you know, I mean, that's one of the things about being depressed is a lot of times, you know, what do they say? Like the, the the first way to get over it and to have people like you is to like yourself first well a lot of us don't like ourselves um, and it could be anything it, it, it could be depression it could be you know your weight it could be your looks um, you know I I I was born with red hair and and having red hair as a kid sucked now I'm kind of cool with it because now I live in a world where the people around me are all dyeing their hair red because they want to be you know want to be different and I'm like hey you know what great but I was that different when I was a kid and it sucked ass. Because everybody made fun of you being different, you know. So now I can appreciate it, but when I was a kid, it was terrible. Um uh, but so I had these complications where like I could not make relationships work because I could not understand why somebody would date me at all. You know, like like why would why would this person do this? Um and I just knew that something was wrong with me. I knew that something was different about me. I knew that whatever position somebody was supposed to be in to find contentment in life, I was not in that position. But again, I did not understand why. And so going back to that that, that scale of being suicidal, I would say that for... A good portion of those eight years, I legitimately wanted to die. I really did. I was I was well, I was almost kind of like Um Like you know, you'd you'd sit there and you'd at night, you'd be laying in bed and you'd be looking up and you'd be wondering, Is there a God? Is there not a God? But you'd pray anyway, in case there was You know, and be like, Look, you know, God, please, either either fix whatever is wrong with me or just let me die so I can not have to deal with this. And that sounds like such a tragic place to be in, but when you are young like that and when you are going through the teenage years and when you there are so many forces coming against you already and you are in that place where nothing makes sense and you feel so terrible mentally and emotionally... It's very easy to get there, but I never, like, I never tried to commit suicide or anything. I, I never would. Okay, I can't say I never would have made that jump, but I never did make that jump. You know, I was the kind of person who I still always wanted to keep going, and I still wanted to try to figure out my life and fix it, even if I didn't know how. But I did not want to give up in that way. And also because I was, in a way, I was kind of a coward. I mean, okay, it's a good coward, but I was a coward as, as far as, you know, man, killing yourself is like a huge deal, and that's kind of scary, and it, was, it might hurt, you know. It sounds dumb, but that, that's what you think when you're, when you're, when you're a kid like that. Uh, but so, like, for those eight years, like, I really seriously had this huge problem with depression, and it just so affected my life, and, and it was so hard getting through it. But the problem was that I was also afraid of fixing it. And when you're older and you understand more about life, maybe this this way of thinking doesn't make sense to you anymore. But as a teenager, my thought was, okay, going on drugs might help whatever you would say fixing yourself might be, maybe drugs would fix me. Maybe they would make me feel better. But there's also this potential that drugs would make me somebody I was not. And that really scared me. Even as terrible, even as heartbreaking as my depression was, what was even scarier to me was the idea that by going on drugs or getting help, it could turn me into somebody else because that's kind of like what that fear of, of drugs is, you know, when you don't really understand why they do what they do, is you're not thinking, okay, maybe they make me think more rationally or maybe they help just tone down the the chemicals in my body that are driving me crazy. You don't think that way. What you think is it turns you into somebody else, you know. It takes me from, hey, this is, this is Shidoshi, the person I've always been, to This is new person who's not depressed, but who isn't always isn't as me as well. Um, so I was really really afraid of that, like really terrified of that, and that's the reason why I never got help. Um, you know, years and years later, I ended up going to a psychiatrist for some of my issues, and <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> I have no mic. Inf- I mean, I have no mic. I have a mic. I don't have a mute on this, unfortunately. Um, uh, I ended up going to a psychiatri- psychiatrist later in my life, and it helped, and I, I understood better what that meant. Um, going to a psychiatrist is is not... Because... Um, I don't know. I think we get this really weird impression of what things are through like Hollywood and TV and media and things. and So part of you is like... Um, You know, I'm I'm gonna go to this guy and pay him 150 bucks an hour, and he's gonna tell me what's wrong with me. Well, it's not quite that. It's 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 more like a psychiatrist is somebody who has to listen to you because you're paying them, and they understand how to get you to find the answers for yourself. And so that kind of ties in like what I did to get out of my depression, but. It really is. It's, it's not about them fixing you. It's about you fixing you, but them being there to help you understand how to fix you. But be, long before that, um, I was at the real tail end of my huge depression. And this came – so we talked about, before about my ex-girlfriend Aki, the first Japanese girl I dated, um, the girl that helped – set up my going to Japan in the first place. Um, so my relationship with her was was utterly terrible. Um, so I I had, the thing before I mentioned, I, I had really liked her, but she had a boyfriend, and her boyfriend was just treating her like dirt, like really, really bad. And I was always like, I mean, part of it, yes, was my own self gain, but I was always like, you know, look, this guy is treating you terribly, you know. And so finally she dumps him, and we start going out, but she'd always say things like, "Well, you know if my ex-boyfriend comes back and asks me out again, I'm gonna dump you and go back to him. You know <laughs> terrible things like that, right like like how do you say it to somebody that's that's horrible, but that she would say stuff like that and so this was like I said this was still at a point where I was really really depressed, and I had that really low self esteem so like my self esteem just like plummeted with her and I, in a way, sabotaged that relationship um, because I just could not understand. Like, I'm like, she is so, oh, she's so pretty and she's so wonderful and she's so awesome. And why is she with somebody like me? I just don't understand, you know. Um. So, like, we break up and I was so depressed and I was so miserable And I was just so, like, pining for her. And it was, oh, it was just gross, totally. I mean, just if you'd see me at that point. Um, But that was, was, for that time, that was, like, a real low point in my life and a low point in my depression. And one day, I'm like, you know what? If you don't want to be depressed anymore, you have to fix this. And the way to fix this is... Don't be depressed. And that, like, that sounds like a dumb answer, but in one way, that is an answer, is we have legitimate reasons for falling into depression. I had totally legitimate reasons that still have unresolved issues. And To this day, I still feel depressed at times, like right now. But even though those legitimate reasons exist, there are still ways in which we do, as human beings, sabotage ourselves. And what you have to do, if you are depressed, or even if you aren't, even if you just, you know, you just feel bad sometimes, but you're not really depressed or anything, but. All of us, all of us, everybody out there listening, there's some level to which you control your own destiny and you control your own feelings. You know? Like, think about your body, right? If you get fat, you know why? Yes, it can be genetics, right? It, it can be legitimate problems. Or, you know what? It can just be you letting yourself get fat. You know? It's, it's you making a choice that you're not going to change your lifestyle so that you don't. There are people who are like that and depression can be the same way there are some people who let themselves be depressed because just that's that's how they feel like living is is they're not going to change it and at some point you have to say look there are great things in life and it's a problem that we all have it's it's a problem with appreciating it's you know look at the internet well like look at comments on games right what what are the loud voices the loud voices aren't the ones saying how enjoyable a game is and how much they love the characters and everything, the loud voices are the ones bitching about the game. The loud voices out there are the ones bitching about everything. The loud voices in ourselves are the ones bitching. It's the same way. And unfortunately, far too often, we listen to that voice and not the other voice. Now, sometimes, sometimes you will get to a point where you're like, man, I just don't understand why Life is here, and I don't understand what is good about it. And I'm going to be honest, right now, I somewhat have that feeling. Now, I'm not saying I subscribe to that feeling, but, you know, the inside parts of me are, are saying those things right now, and it is affecting me. I'm letting it affect me right now. But overall, once I get past that, life is pretty cool i mean it's you know there are a lot of wonderful things and unfortunately as human beings we do not appreciate the good as much as we rally against the bad i mean it's it's so easy right now to think that life sucks like it's just this whole thing like recently right we've got this whole internet censorship we've got these politicians who just Sometimes seem like they just don't give a crap about anybody but themselves and corporations we have corporations who are making billions of dollars and and while they're cutting jobs and screwing the little people. you know you've got all these <laughs> these things you know you've got the environment um there's all these reasons to feel like life sucks, but we forget all of the wonderful pieces of life as well, and there really is truth, the idea. That part of the way you get yourself to pull out of that depression is by simply saying, "I am not going to be depressed anymore." I mean, like, think about playing video games. If 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 you if you buy a new game, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) um, if you buy a new game and you go into it thinking, you know what, this game's going to suck, then it's going to suck. You're not going to like it, okay? But if you go into a game saying, you know what. This game might suck, but it also might be awesome. And while I am going to acknowledge the bad parts, I am going to appreciate the good parts. If you can do that, then you're going to enjoy that game way, way more. And the same is true with life. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to sit here and, and have people think that I'm saying that depression can simply be cured by making yourself happy. That's not true. And I think, I think that we do sometimes rely far, far too much on drugs, but. On the other hand, I think drugs can be very, very important to people who can really benefit from them. Uh, Going to talk to professionals, I absolutely believe in it. And if you find somebody who is not helping you and who you do not think really cares or understands what you're going through, you find somebody else. But don't give up on that idea because I, I absolutely do think that can help. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing that can help fix you is you. And you have to understand that. And you have to want to fix your life. If you don't want to fix your life, you're never going to stop being depressed. But the thing about that is that is your choice. That is your choice. That is very important to understand and to not forget and to not ignore or to lie to yourself about. You decide if you wanna be happy or if you're not gonna be happy. Now, there is no guarantee it's gonna happen. If you say, I want to be happy, there's no guarantee you are going to become happy. But you are the first step in making that path. You have to first decide that you want to be happy. And, And until you decide that, you cannot be. It sounds so ridiculously simple, but it's true. You have to tell yourself, I want to be happy. And many of us don't even tell ourselves that. We think, oh, I'm supposed to be depressed. This is how my life is supposed to be. You know, this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be happy. Just stop that. Stop that and tell yourself, you know what? I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have a good life. And I deserve to not be burdened and, and overwhelmed by the depression. And that's the first step you have to take. From there, the path you must travel will be different for all of us. But that first step is the same. But, (laughs) as P.B. Herman says, there's always a big but. Um, Doing that does not mean you won't be depressed again. And like I said, right now, I am in a terrible mood mentally and emotionally. Uh, hoping I will pull out of it soon. I don't know yet, but even though I'm depressed now, my outlook has changed from how I was when I was younger. Like, I no longer think this is how I'm supposed to be, except going back, I was afraid of medication because I was like, you know what, if, if this is the way I am by nature, maybe this is who I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be this depressive person. Um. And I, I'm not, you know. I'm—we're all supposed to be happy. I mean, look, in the reality of life, you know, a lot of people have really sucky situations, and there's no way they're going to be happy. I mean, you think about all of these countries where, you know, it's civil war and strife and warlords and stuff, and it's like, well, if we're all supposed to be happy, yeah, what about those people? Okay, people get born into really terrible situations. And we should try to change that, but at the same time, we should not beat ourselves up over the fact that somebody else's life is not as giving in potential as ours are. You know, but at the end of the day, every single person in the world deserves to be happy. All right, now someone's gonna say, "Well, what about Hitler? You know, what about Osama bin Laden?" Okay, shut up. Um, So. Tell yourself that. You know, if you are suffering from depression, the first step has to be you telling yourself that you deserve to be happy. And from there, make the effort to get help or to understand why you are depressed. Understanding is so important. It really is. Because even if, even if that understanding does not change how depressed you are, it changes how you come at that. And if you understand, then you can start making the steps to try to fix your life. So yeah, um, depression sucks. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I know, it's like mind-blowing comment there. Oh, depression sucks. Go out on a limb there, Shidoshi. Um, but, you know, it does. And unfortunately, so many of us suffer from it. And And sometimes there's just no easy answer. I mean, sometimes you have to just get through it. And... I, you know, I have a friend online who recently was seriously talking about killing themselves, like seriously, like to a point where I panicked because I thought they were going to do it on one certain day. Um, and, you know, like I said before about the, the whole weakness thing, yes, suicide is weakness, but I understand and I hope, I hope and pray nobody kills themselves because of depression, especially if they're in a place where they can be helped. But I understand because I've been there and I understand that feeling. And what what we have to, it said, it goes back to that very first comment I made about being afraid to talk to people about things. Because if if I say right now, and I'm not saying I'm saying this, but if I said right now, you know what, I am kind of suicidal. Then all of some people freak out, you know, like oh my god, I'm gonna call the police, or or don't do it, don't do it, you have so much to live for, you know, or or call and talk to me, you know, or all these things. And maybe I want those things, or maybe I don't. And and it's it's hard, it's hard for you to express that opinion, or that, I mean, not not opinion, that 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 emotion, because if you then say look, I'm not going to do it right now, I'm just saying it, then you're labeled to be an attention whore, right? You're like, oh, you're just, you're just you know, trolling for sympathy. That's not it. I want to just talk about who I am. But it's so hard in terms of oppression for people to listen because we have all these preconceived notions of how we should respond and react to that. So it's very, very, I know, I know for any of you out there, who have been depressed or are depressed right now, who have these serious feelings, I know how hard it is to talk about it. Because when you do, people automatically want to help you in the ways that you don't want. And it takes a lot of explanation on your part to make them understand what it is that you are wanting. And sometimes what you're wanting is for them to listen, not to listen, and then give you solutions right away or their opinions on how you should fix your life you just want them to listen. You want to be able to express those feelings to somebody else instead of keeping them bottled up inside. And it's hard. So yeah, that was depression. And I I know that conversation probably had no point, and I don't know if it was any good or not, but that that was a little taste of my life and my experience with depression. It sucks. And right now I am just man I am so I am so 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 <laughs> I'm so so It's it's just it's hard. It's hard sometimes to understand like like it makes you know, it's like why why are we here? What's the point? You know? Like I said again I'm like, I'm not going to off myself right now so none of you listening worry about that or anything but it's 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 tough and it's so tough to, to be in a position where you just don't know what to do to fix your situation and even if you do know the cause you still don't know at any certain point how to really fix it or maybe the fix is very scary you know So it's rough. But, but, let's get on to some other topics. Uh, That main topic is, is, uh, let's move on from that and let's try to cheer ourselves up a little bit as this podcast comes to a close here soon. Um, (coughs) Oh God. Okay, I'm going to die. I'm going to die not from my own hand. I'm going to die from this infection that I have. That I'll turn to a zombie. And then uh, I'll be happy because I will be the cause of the zombie outbreak. Okay. Um, First email that I'm going to read, in part or in all, is from uh, Ayadu. Ayadu, a uh, loyal listener to this show. I appreciate that. I thank her for her uh, patronage. Um, doo. I'm trying to see which parts of this email would be worth... Re- no, not worth reading would be interesting to you, the listener. Uh, well, you know, I'll just read it. We'll go through it. What the hell? Uh, it says, Hi, thanks for replying to uh, emails in the podcast. I'm really enjoying these shows. Well, thank you. Uh, I like how they feel more personal. I think people who want to know more about Shidoshi or the other hosts would feel the same given that you guys are such enigmatic... <laughs> enigmatic existences enigmatic as in unique existences uh, video game translators who happen who have experienced both sides and are willing to share your experiences openly, this is a big selling point um, yes and this is again getting back to my repeating myself uh, probably only feedback might be to try not to reiterate the same point over and over the guy who asks what sort of feedback do the podcaster want? I was laughing myself off while listening to this because Shidoshi was still a lot of L's talking about the importance of feedback over and over again. Laugh out loud. Uh, anyway, a follow up question: As visual novel fan translators, we are interested in how to make the world more manageable by cutting it up into bits because very few people are willing to devote years of their free time into translating one piece of work. Uh, And then she goes into an IRC chat, which I don't know that I will read the whole thing of, but it gets down to, it says, my question is, if you know everyone in a team are all competent translators, is having 20 people in one project a guaranteed disaster? I picked 20 for exaggeration. Unfortunately, for one. Unfortunately, for visual novels, even one tenth of one is still a lot of work. Also, some visual novels are more difficult than others. Um. So originally, when I read this email, I was going to answer it one way, and I've almost kind of changed my mind. But let's 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 think through my answer. So, is having twenty translators on one project a guaranteed disaster? Possibly, probably. Um, the problem with fan projects, uh, is that it's hard to have a leader. It's hard to have a leader when people are donating their time to a project because the moment they feel upset about decisions that are being made, they can just say, you know what, F you, I'm done. Because now if if you're like, say you're working at an Apple, for example, and you have a Steve Jobs as a boss. Steve Jobs, one of his things was, if you liked him or didn't like him as a person or as a boss, he was very, very good at getting things done because he was a person who said, you know what, this is how we're doing it, this is how we're not doing it, and that's that. He'd go to people and say that, Right. And so when you have somebody like that, when you have somebody with a vision and also with the ability to um, wrangle everybody, it makes things a lot easier. Uh, It's hard to do that on translation projects. Like I said, I I, I have a close friend who uh, does a lot of manga translation stuff, and he's talked to me before about how a couple of his – I don't know if they're exactly the translators or if they were the Q&A or Q&A. The yeah, "quote unquote" quality assurance, you know, or the uh, re-editing or whatever, how some of the people had very distinct opinions on certain things, uh, opinions that were often wrong, like how a certain word should be translated or how certain English sentences should be written, even though the person I think at least one of them was not native English speaker. But unfortunately, in fan projects, you you have that, and. Since you are not paying these people, it is hard for you to say, "Look, shut up, do what I tell you, and we'll everything will be will be fine. you know you can't say that because you do then that person will say "F you I'm walking, and you now have a huge hole in your translation group so like it's tough, so I think you really i think what my opinion would be is you have to you have to set ground rules from the very beginning and you very carefully spell out in writing like what how the process works. So if you have 20 translators, I think it actually could work because you have those people doing nothing but direct literal translation or you go back and refer to them if you have a question about how something was written in the first place, but <clears throat> you tell them, you say, Look, you're not writing the final English, and that's that, right? Your job in this project is a translator, and your job is to come in to translate this text into English that will make sense to us. And like I said before, it doesn't need to be English that is being a direct and literal translation, it needs to be English that would convey the idea that was going on for the person who's going to do the final rewrite. So I think it could work if you have these 20 people who are all under that work style. And you say, look, this is exactly what you're doing. You're translating and that's that. You get this many lines, you translate them, you write the notes that we need to have in order to understand the the context for things, and there you go. And then you pass all that text onto the next level of people, and then you have people who you trust who are not there just because they're the one willing to do it. You find somebody, and this is the tough part, you have to find somebody that you really, really trust to do that rewrite because it has to be somebody who's good at it, and it has to be somebody who cares about writing good copy. Uh, and so at that point, you can then filter yourself way down so that that step is maybe one person, you know, two or three at the most, and you have people in there that you trust and that you know... <coughs> That you know, know what the overall idea is. But then again, so what kind of translation are you going for? Are you trying to make it very faithful to the original? Are you trying to make something that English speakers will more appreciate? Is it supposed to be a little bit funny? Is it supposed to be a little sexy? You know, whatever it is. You write that down. You have this game plan before any of the translation work starts. So that, if there's any ever any questions, you go back to that thing and say, look, this is the way things work. Because the, the more you get down at the beginning and the more you have in place as saying this is how we're working, I think the easier the process will go. So I think on a translation step, that's fine. But if you have 20 people who are all wanting to put their, uh, their translation – been on the game, then it's a huge disaster. never ever work i don't think but it's been interesting you know it's, it's really been interesting having uh, uh Aru's, um emails coming in because like it's it's interesting to see this this like I'm really into and interested in this whole translation side of things because I know there there are all the conversations of you know are fan translations piracy and are they killing the the, the market and we just saw. We just saw, since my last podcast, uh, Bondi, they are completely pulling out of the anime market in America as of the end of this month, and now it sounded like Media Blasters is going down as well. So there is a, a potentially legitimate argument for saying that fan translations are killing the legitimate business of selling anime. But at the same time, at the same time, Fan translation was there before anybody was selling things legitimately anyway. And there is always, always, always going to be situations where content is coming out that we are not getting. And as 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 hard as it is for me to see support the idea of taking money away from the legitimate publishers, I, more than that, am the kind of person who says... It is better to have things exist than not exist, period. So, anyway. Uh, this is from Patrick Malloy. He says, Greetings, my name is Patrick Malloy. I'm a big fan of your written work and an avid listener of your sporadic podcasts. Yes, sporadic, unfortunately. Unfortunately, uh, in terms of uh, certain podcasts, uh, the personality and dialogue of Warning and Miranda's Sweet Shop and their occasional Japanese news discussions always give me energy on my weekend running workouts. I'm writing you right now because I have a small favor to ask. I'm an avid enthusiast of Japanese-developed video games. I also maintain a personal blog, which I update frequently. Um, I'm sure you put that comment in there to, to stick the knife in deeper, by the way. Uh, that centers on Japan, Japanese gaming, and JRPGs. Please check it out at... It's the Malloy boy. It is t h e m o l l o y b o y dot blogspot dot com. Uh, I started this blog with the hopes of forming a strong community for the discussion of what is becoming a more and more niche market in the West. For that reason, I was hoping that perhaps you could give me give my blog a plug on one of your podcasts sometime. I figured since most people who listen to your podcasts love Japanese games, it would be a good way to sort of corral them to a place where they can easily get together and discuss, muse up, and speculate about Japanese gaming. Regardless of whether or not you think the request is accessible, I will continue to listen to your talkative talks every few weeks. Now, continue to read your written work on games and game culture. Thank you for your time. Patrick Malloy. So there you go. Cheap plug I gave you. Um... Speaking of that, so I, I do have my own forums, which I've had for like ten some years now. Uh and I, I, I keep thinking that I want to set those up also to support uh warning a huge podcast and Japanese game discussion. So I really need to get to that. Um Yeah, I need to do that. If you want if you want in the in the uh interim to check them out and make sure. Yes. The uh, URL is actually Cafe, like a coffee house cafe. Cafe dot go morning g-o-m o r n i n g dot com. I think you can also use our morning project uh URL as well, let me check. Morning Project uh Yes, you can also get there from cafe dot Either URL works, uh and those are my personal forums. And right now they're kinda quiet because um, it's kind of like a very, very small group of people who have been going to them um, as of late. But like I said, I was thinking of kind of, of, of building in a uh, forum on there for warning a huge podcast and Japanese gaming discussions. If nothing else, however, you can go there and you can see how awesome my design work for the forum is. So I'm, I'm, yes, I'm kind of... Uh, being egotistical here, but I'm very much into um, <clears throat> making message forms look cool. So uh, I can check that as well. And then I think we had. do-ka-do-ka-do. Uh, yes, this is from Harold L. Clark. It's from the last email. And Harold says, please reminisce more about the master system. <laughs> Oh, my God, I'm dying. Okay. Uh, Most of my friends didn't even know what the hell that was before they met me. Double Dragon was far and away superior on the Master System. So, yes, the Master System. How many of you don't know what one is? So, of course, of course, before, back in the day, there was the NES. I had the NES. I loved the NES. There's also this Master System thing, right? And um, that was Sega's 8-bit system that never really got anywhere, but it was kind of, um, could we say that it was it was Sega's, for your youngins, it was like Sega's Xbox, you're right? You know, the Xbox comes out, doesn't get a huge foothold, but it gives Microsoft the ability to get into the gaming market and to then go beyond that, right? Uh, so Sega has their master system, or the Mark III in Japan, I believe its name was. And man, the Master System. Like, so I think I could be wrong here, but I think they had a total of like one third party developer during the entire life of the Master System. I think that was Activision. Um, you know, we, can, we could check this, couldn't we? Since I have no problem wasting your time while I search things on uh, the internet. Uh, Sega Master System. Let's find out anything about third. Okay, so I'm talking about America here, third party support wise. Uh, so, what was interesting was originally the match system comes to America through Tonka, as in, like, the truck, Tonka trucks, and toys, you know, and everything, Tonka. So, they brought, because Sega had absolutely no market in America whatsoever, you know. So, through Tonka they bring out the Master System over here. And yes, okay, they had two, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was half wrong. They had two third-party developers on the Master System. And that was Activision and Parker Brothers. Yes, of course, Parker Brothers, because they were responsible for the classic game Mono Poly. That would be a funny, funny joke, for any match system owners, and the rest of you will have no idea what that meant. But. Uh, it's a master system. Like, like it was... What was what was great was... Like, it was so colorful. Compared to... So it had... I'm looking at the specs right now. It had up to 32 simultaneous colors available. One 16-color palette for sprites or background. And an additional 16-color palette for backgrounds only... From a overall palette of sixty four colors. Now you're saying, "Wow, thirty two colors at once! That's that's so exciting to me. Thirty two colors, right?" But you have to understand. Let's go to the little NES page over here. Where's uh, beep, 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 beep so where where are the colors for? Uh... <clears throat> okay, so it says. The NES overall had a color palette of 48 colors versus the Master System 64 uh, and 6 grays. Uh, Red, green, and blue can be individually darkened at specific screen regions using carefully timed code. Up to 25 simultaneous colors may be used without writing new values mid-frame. So, basically, the thing was is... I mean, like these days, obviously, the polygons, right? Polygons, frame rate, blah, 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 blah dollar, the, 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 the number of P's the game is, whatever. But back then, it, it like colors was one of the big things. And the Master System at one point could display more color than the NES. And that sounds like a really dumb benefit. To some of you, maybe, but it resulted in these games that just felt like they were so much more vibrant and so much more colorful than NES games. Uh, and and I think you also choose color palettes because you looked at the games and they just used all these bright uh, pastel, you know, pinks and blues and oranges and yellows and greens and everything. And man, Fantasy Star! Fantasy Star came along. And I still remember getting Fantasy Star because it was snowing outside and it was nighttime and I was down in my basement and I had the master system hooked up to a TV down there. And I remember that we had to take my brother's girlfriend at the time to the train station because she was going somewhere, but I didn't want to leave because I was playing Fantasy Star. And I think, I mean, I'm pretty certain that Fantasy Star was my first... RPG because Fantasy Star actually hit in America. Now I'm gonna make sure before I say this, but Fantasy Star actually hit in America before Dragon Warrior did. And Dragon Warrior, of course, was the US version of the original Dragon Quest. So Fantasy Star comes out. What is this? First release. Fantasy Star, December 20th, 1987. I don't want to hit that button. Right? That's that's the first game, right? Fantasy Star. Let's make sure make sure here. No, I'm sorry. The American version was 1988. 1988. And Dragon Warrior, Dragon Warrior was in America. I I'm so wrong. Okay. Yeah, see I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Maybe I did, maybe I did play Dragon Warrior first. Cause I've always had this like opinion that or belief that I had played No! I am right! See? I am right. Fantasy Star, thank you, thank you, Shidoshi. Don't doubt yourself. Fantasy Star hits America in nineteen eighty eight. The exact month I'm not sure of. But Dragon Quest hits Japan May of 1986 but does not make it to america until august of 1989 so while technically dragon quest was first as far as the u.s goes fantasy star was the first big rpg and not dragon warrior so i play fantasy star first so even though dragon so i'm spoiled right off the bat because fantasy star for its time is gorgeous Absolutely gorgeous game, so colorful, so vibrant, and you get these fight scenes where <coughs> you you like the whole screen changes and the, the monsters are there and they're 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 set against the backdrop, and the monster like animates right like the 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 merman guy attacks you and 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 his arms move and his this tongue like comes slashing out at you and stuff and and like it's so it's so full of life and, and, and exciting. And you've got this character, Alice, who, here I am playing this huge, epic, engrossing game. And the main character is female, which, this is awesome, you know? Like, oh my god, like, like female characters, like, did not really exist most of the time. And, and here's this fantasy star, and the main character is this girl named Alice. And it's awesome. And there's three freaking planets. There's three planets. You're on this first planet, and, like, okay, it's green, and it's got trees and it's forests and oceans and stuff. And then you get the spaceship, and you're like, what, what, spaceship? And you get in the spaceship, and you fly off, and it's a desert planet. It's, like, Tatooine, you know, but it's Motavia here. And and now, like, the game's totally different. You got these, like, sandworms and, and all this kind of stuff and these, like, jawa looking people, you know, and you're you're, you're like you're like doing stuff in like but then like oh by the way, third planet, you're going to it, you get in your little space car again, fly off, Deserez. It's this ice, snowy world, and there's there's you know it's it's like frost everywhere and these snowy trees and 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 it just blew my mind. And then Dragon Warrior comes out. And of course, this is the game Japan is going nutso over. And it's fun, but it it's like come on. Come on. Dragon War come on. Come on. It's like nothing compared to Fantasy Star. There's one world, it's this little continent. You're on a little freaking continent. Like Fantasy Star had three planets, man. Come on. Dragon Warrior is one little continent, okay, and you get in the fights, and oh, it's this little window, and it kind of shows the background, and oh, look, there's a little slime, and in Fantasy Star, they have slimes, and they're kind of like jiggling, and they jump at you, right, and it's like boom, boom, and they're hitting you and jumping you, and then jump back to their place, and oh, look, on on Dragon Warrior, here's a slime, and you've got this dumb little smiley face on him, and, and he just sits there, and it's like, oh, he hit you for four points, you're like what? He's he's just he's just sitting there. He just, just I I I saw him. He's just sitting there, and and I'm hurt. What's this? You know, fantasy star. Slimes like this little jello thing, and it's so colorful, and you like see through can see through him. Look, look you can see like the ground through him. And he's like he's like brrr, like wiggling, and then like, he jumps forward and boom, and he hits you and stuff. And I'm um, playing Dragon Warrior, and this little slime You're sitting there like a dumbass with a smile on his face, right? So like, what is this? What you know? So. That, to me, was like Master System versus NES. Like, Master System had probably one one-hundredth of the games worth playing compared to NES. But you played a game on the Master System, and it felt so awesome. I mean, Rampage. So Rampage was, like, one of the big games back in the day. You have these three characters. Uh, I remember Lizzie was the the big... So it was, so it was like, three humans who got, like, irradiated... And then grew up in these big monsters. So you had kind of the King Kong esque one, the big ape. You had the the Godzilla esque big lizard, and then you had um, I think the Wolfman. Was it a Wolfman? Let's find out. Rampage. And so this was the point where it was from Midway, and I mean, Midway was making just like all these amazing arcade games. So it was three players at once, and you you were in a town. And, uh, you know, so, okay, so, yeah, that's right, George, George was the gorilla, Lizzie was the dinosaur, and then Ralph was a giant werewolf. Um, and so you'd be, like, punching these buildings and punching these buildings, and, um, be like, people inside or, or food or whatever, or it'd be a toaster, and you'd grab the toaster and you get shocked, you know. Um, so this game came out, like, so back in this point, very, very few games came out for both consoles, because Nintendo were a-holes not much has changed, ha, ha, ha. Um, But, so Nintendo were like, you know what? If you make games for NES, you don't make games for anybody else. that's that. So very, very few games came out on both systems. But occasionally, and I don't, I don't always understand like the exacts. I don't know if it happened after Nintendo got in trouble for that or not. Um, But occasionally you'd have games come out for both. So rampage was one where the master system version was just way superior. I mean, just totally. I mean, it looked it looked like the arcade, whereas like the NES game looked like a, like a half-assed computer game, kind of in a way. Um, and then also, as um, uh, Harold mentions, there was Double Dragon. Right? Double Dragon was hilarious because Double Dragon comes out on the NES, and it's this completely different game, because back at this point, since you couldn't do proper arcade ports for a lot of games, the NES versions would be completely different a lot of the time, so Double Dragon comes out, and the game is called, obviously, Double Dragon, and yet, it's one player only. Funny. Uh, and the game's, like, different. It's, like, not like the arcade. I mean, it was still, you know, it's okay, whatever. But um, but it wasn't like the arcade game, you know. But then, but then, Double Dragon comes to Master System. And it's two players. Two players. And it looks like the arcade game. Right? It was awesome. And I got the game for free, man. I got the, I got Double Dragon for free. Because Sega's like, you know what? We, uh, we desperately want people to play our system. So if you do this certain stuff, you can send some stuff in and you can get free games. And I sent away for it. And I got Double Dragon for free. And it was awesome. Awesome. And so it was kind of like like NES were where all of the... the I'm trying to have a good comparison to these days. So, hmm. almost kind of think about... I don't see them in a way like a DS versus PSP, where the DS was just running RAM shot over everything else, you know? And it was far and away the most popular option, and all these games came to it. But there'd be times when, like... These crazy games came to the PSP, and they were just so much better technically. And for most people, if you had to pick one, you were obviously going to pick the NES, you know, like you'd pick the DS. But this little, this little master system over here was like hardcore, and you had it. And you you didn't have this huge library the NES had, but when you got games, they were this really interesting and different stuff. And they, they looked awesome and, and, and if you ever had the kind when the game would come out on both systems, the, the master system version was the clearly better version. Um so yeah. I ended up totally loving my Master System. And the Master System was really I mean, it it was fantasy star. Just absolutely no question. But, you know, I mean there was uh there was called Valius and God, what Master system games did I have. Uh Miracle Warriors. Um man, I'm trying to think of like what uh Psycho Fox, the Alex Kid games. Um you know, of course like the the Sega stuff like Space Harrier, Hang-On. Uh you know, like like it made me like really appreciate Sega and made me understand Sega games more. And then you know, Nintendo's sitting here, and they're like, NES, most popular thing in the entire world. We, we you, People don't – like, it was so funny because, they, you know um, – well, so Sega – before I get that the comics, it'll make sense in a minute. So Sega has the master system, and they, they get the rights back from, from Tonka, and they're releasing it themselves. But they're not getting anywhere. So they're like, you know what? We have nothing to lose we have this 16-bit console that in Japan is called the Mega Drive that we're going to bring out over here called the Genesis, right? So Nintendo at this point has the NES and the NES is in every, it seems like every home in the world and they're selling boatloads of NES games. So to them, there was no reason for they needed for them needing a new console. So Sega's like, you know what? We're bringing out this Genesis thing, while Nintendo America is saying, hey, people don't need anything more than the NES. That's all you need for good games, you know. Nobody wants this sixteen bit. What 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 is sixteen? What's what sixteen? What, what are sixteen? You know, sixteen watts. Nobody needs that. They want the NES. But Sega has this Genesis. And you see the graphics and you're like, Oh my god, this is amazing. Because I have I have 'cause as good as the master system is, right? I have um altered beast on the master system. And it's one player only. And it's like that sucks. And you get to the end bosses, and when you're fighting the, the, the boss for each stage, the background's black because the game like the bosses are so big the game cannot handle the boss and the background at the same time. So games back in this era would do that where you had the, the background be black and that you would be you and the boss and that's all that's really there. Um, but then, Sega's toes off. It's Altered Beast for Genesis and it looks like the freaking arcade. And, <laughs> you know, nobody, at this point, in this era, nobody cares. But you have to understand, back in this era, you never expected to have arcade games at home. Because the hardware you had at home was nowhere even close to arcades so seeing this altered beast that you had played in the arcade and seeing the Genesis version and in your mind it being the freaking arcade version blew people's heads it was like wait this 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 can't this this can't be real this can't be real you can't have an arcade machine in your home but so the Genesis comes out, and it is the most amazing thing I've ever my my little self has ever seen in the entire world, you know. And that cemented me as a Sega person. And obviously, of course, Nintendo would finally release the Super Nintendo a little bit later. But then, you know, us Sega people, we had, you know, we had Sonic. Which Sonic, I like, I was never a huge Mario person, so Sonic was awesome. We had Streets of Rage, which the original final fight on the Super Nintendo was a mess because it was one player only and and there was no, was it no guy in it? Like, what? Why is there no guy? Why do you take out one of the three characters? But Genesis had Streets of Rage and it was two players at once and it was awesome. And Genesis had Herzog's Vi and and Fantasy Star 2. That game Fantasy Star, I love the Master System. There's a part two now and it's crazy, you know? So... So, yeah, like the Master System, I still love it. I mean, looking back realistically, there were probably like, I don't even know if I could name five games at this point that I would still play. I would play Fancy Star, and that's probably it. That's probably the only game I would still play from that console. Meanwhile, NES has tons of games I would still play. But it was just that feeling of excitement that. The NES was out there and had all these great games and everything, but the the master system was this alternative. This alternative that gave you a world of gaming that the NES could not actually give you. So it was great. It was a great console. So yeah, that's my show, I think, for today. Um, There you go. So hopefully I did not repeat myself as much as before, and I have tried to not be as down on myself about the show as before. So, uh, I hope you enjoyed it and found it interesting. And um, I don't know. I don't know how that depression discussion went. So, hopefully, you found it uh, fun to listen to. I don't know if fun's the right word, but you know, um, depression, it sucks, you know. And if you have any stories about your own dealing with depression that you would like to share, that you feel comfortable sharing, you know, send them in. And even if I don't read them on the show, uh, I will read them personally, you know. And, uh, again, if you have any questions uh, or anything, topics you want me to cover, and to be clear, not just gaming and not just Japan-related, it can be anything and everything. Um, my email address is in the show notes for the show. And that is, um, still is, I'm still being lazy, and I haven't set up an email account for this show, so it's still just uh, shidoshi at wahp.jp. You can also contact me on Twitter at picoeri, that's P-I-K-O-E-R-I. Or if you want to ask a question or make a comment but you want to stay anonymous, you can do th- so through Tumblr. My Tumblr is picoeri.tumblr, and that is T-U-M-B-L-R.com. And when you go there on the left-hand side, there is an Ask Me Anything link. And you can use that to, as it says, ask me anything. So yeah, um, I hope you did enjoy this show. Uh, Send me emails, send me feedback, send me uh, questions, comments, whatever. And uh, I will talk about them next time. So uh, yeah. And I don't know, next time might be the uh, continuation of my saga in Japan. Or it might be something else I haven't decided yet. I haven't decided what I want to talk about yet. So, uh, yeah. I'm Shidoshi. This has been uh, the third fantastic episode of Miranda's Sweet Shop. And as always, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.